0: I'm reading from Acts 1, 1 to 11. In the first book, of Theophilus, I dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given command through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, and as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven.
1: Um, We are starting this this, uh, morning with a new series through the book of Acts. Uh, Advancing the Gospel is the title of this new series. And uh, over the next few months, actually, we're going to be taking our time looking at the, 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 the book of Acts in the New Testament. And uh, before we really get into the, the meat of what we're going to be looking at this morning, um, I, I want to make some sort of introductory comments, I suppose, about what we're, what we're reading. Um, at the beginning of this this section here, St. Uh, the, 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 Luke, Saint Luke who wrote a gospel called Luke as well in the Bible, a New Testament book, said, in the first book, O Theophilus, this is the person he's addressing it to, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. And uh, as we we come to this new series, I just want that word began to sort of encourage us and excite us. Because in the first half of Luke's two-volume work on on Jesus and the gospel, uh, he's talking about what Jesus began to do and teach, Uh, And, uh, you know, in in Luke's Gospel, he talks about Jesus' miracles, he talks about uh, restoration, he talks about healing, he talks about salvation, he talks about the preaching of the kingdom. These are all the things that Jesus began to do and teach, according to Luke, here in the first verse of Acts chapter 1. But that suggests to us, I think, this morning, that, that Jesus continues to do and teach many things, and that's what is really encapsulated in the book of Acts, and that continues, that that, that what he's doing and teaching continues to our day. And so I think it's it's something that every uh, generation after the early church, after the apostles themselves, um, uh, every generation is going to be stirred and, and encouraged and excited by what we're reading together in the book of Acts because we start to imagine how we play our part as the next generation um, to see what God is doing, what Jesus began to do and teach, and what he continues to do and teach today. And, and that's why this, this should inspire you and encourage you um, as we take a look at this as a church. And, and as we um, read and examine what happened in the early church, we ourselves, as we take a fresh look at that, we will receive our marching orders, if you like, um, from God, through the Holy Spirit. And I think that just works so well for us as a church. We're entering a new season, um, weather-wise, I suppose, but we're also entering a new season of the church um, and uh, uh, a new year. So I- I'm aware that the book of Acts might be familiar to some of you if you've been around church for, for a longer time. It's a fairly uh, frequent one that, that um, preachers love to preach on and for very good reason. But my prayer and my hope is that as we take our time through this over the next few weeks and months, that you will be freshly inspired and reinvigorated um, by our mission as a church. Because we are on a mission. Um, A few more comments just to, again, uh, help us to to isolate and identify what's going on here. Um, The Gospel of Acts, I suppose we could understand it as as being all about the kingdom of God. um, The kingdom coming you know we we had a little mini series on prayer just before Christmas uh, and we learned didn't we in one of those uh, sessions that the prayer that Jesus teaches us to pray uh, and we're praying thy kingdom come Uh, you know thy will be done it's the Lord's prayer and you've heard that and so when you want to know what thy kingdom come looks like you can go no further than than looking in the gospel sorry in the book of acts this is what it looks like when we pray thy kingdom come and those prayers start to be answered um, jesus said in in luke chapter four it's on the screen behind me uh, at the beginning of the gospel of luke the first volume jesus said i must preach the good news of what the kingdom of god for that is why i was sent i was sent for this purpose and here in this verse, that uh, these verses we just had read to us, in verse 3, for example, he spends 40 days from the time that he rose from the grave until the moment he was taken up into heaven. He spent those 40 days. What was he teaching about? The kingdom of God. You see that in verse 3 at the end. Speaking about the kingdom of God. The book of Acts is, Thy kingdom come coming to pass. It's happening. And so when Jesus speaks about being baptised in the Holy Spirit, when he speaks about being witnesses for me, when he speaks about uh, going to Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth, it's all about the coming kingdom of God through the local church, through the early church. Thy kingdom come. And so... What we're going to look at this morning then, with with these sort of things in mind, is is, is, um, asking ourselves, well, if Jesus began to do and teach all these things in Luke's gospel, how does he continue to do and teach all these things in the book of Acts? How does he do it? Because he's, uh, we'll see this in a few moments, he's ascended to heaven, he's no longer physically, bodily present with his people. How does he continue to do and teach? How does he continue the next season of his world-changing, transformative ministry? How does he announce and open the kingdom of God to the world? How does the kingdom come? And we see he does that through this text in three ways. And this really just forms, I think, the fundamental uh, themes for our series over the next few weeks and months. Jesus, uh, his kingdom comes in word... His kingdom comes by his spirit. And thirdly, his kingdom comes through his people. In word, by spirit, through his people. First of all, the kingdom comes um, in word. What is is his word? What is the word? Well, it is the the message of the good news about Jesus. It is the story of what happens. It's the the events of history, uh, of recent history, for, for those who read acts for the first time who participated in the events of history culminating in the coming of the son of god in human form living a perfect life dying by roman execution coming back to life on the third day and his kingdom is coming by his word that is the story that is the message through which his kingdom comes and we see this in verses two through three Um, We've already been thinking a little bit about this. Uh, When Jesus uh, rose from the grave, he didn't ascend to heaven that morning or later on that day. It says he was was with his disciples um, for 40 days, um, spending time with them. Um, He probably wasn't with them constantly for 40 days, making various appearances, I would say, over that time, giving them teaching, appearing alive to them. It says giving them many proofs that he is a real human being. He is their friend. He is the one that they remembered from beforehand. He's the one that they saw uh, die on a cross. He's the one that appeared to them, uh, to the women, um, at first when they discovered the empty grave. This is Jesus of Nazareth, our friend. And yet he gave them many proofs that he is alive, that he is um, uh, who he said he was. And they could not be in any shadow of doubt about this. Why why do they have to be so clear about Jesus? Why did it take 40 days? Rather than just a one-off appearance, why do they have to be so utterly, utterly, utterly convicted about the message, the word? Well, it says in verse 8, second half of verse 8, You will be my witnesses. You know, you're going you're to go and tell the world about me. You're going to go and give the report about what happened. You're going to go and give your testimony about what has happened and what you've seen and what you've experienced. You're to help people join the dots. You're to go out and tell them that, 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 that I am the long awaited Jewish Messiah and I've come here to, to redeem God's people, I've come here to deal with their enemies. And he came in the shape of Jesus of Nazareth, preaching, healing. Teaching, dying, rising again. This is the message, Jesus said, you are to bring with you. Go and be my witnesses. But this project of, of going and telling um, has an end point. There's an end point. It's not an indefinite uh, call to just carry on, but there is a fixed period in this. Where do we get that from? Well, from verse eleven, when, when Jesus ascends, it says to uh, to, to to heaven. Um, there's an angel there, or a couple of angels, and uh, says says to those those disciples looking up and sort of staring into 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 the sky, wondering where he's gone. It says in verse eleven, um, "Why do you stand looking up into heaven?" This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way you saw him go into heaven. He will return. We say that in the Apostles' Creed, don't we, from time to time. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. The second return of Christ. But it's this Jesus, not not a different one. He doesn't sort of uh, park the flesh of the humanity on one side and, and it will one day come back and receive that. It's this Jesus that you've just seen go up. He will return and there's lots that we can take away from that. But in terms of what we're thinking of this morning, the timer is on. You know, the clock is ticking in this project to go and, and, in word, tell the world. So there is an urgency behind the whole thing as well. The kingdom comes in the word. And we, we see in the, in the rest of the book of Acts, and you will see this as we, we go through, we'll see this come to play. Uh, the testimony goes out. And we see the word spreading. Um, We will see that the the gospel message, the good news, will be spoken in different ways to different people groups, depending on who they are. That's called, fancy word, contextualization. But the the message itself is never altered. It is the same message. And, And it continued with such pace and such power that within 300 years relatively short amount of time, that message that they were charged with in this section here, that message spread across the known world. Uh, the, the Roman Empire became a Christian empire in that time. I was recently reading a book um, on the sort of the study of mission, of Christian missions, in the sort of, a I suppose, a, uh, an academic sense or a sociological sense. And it concluded that the number one factor that explains the rapid, deep penetration of the Christian gospel was not the Roman roads. It wasn't the printing press. It wasn't the shared language and the culture. These things are all helpful. But the number one factor that influenced the Christian gospel being spread was the conviction that it was true. That is why The world was changed irreversibly based on what we're just reading here. That's why these people and and many after them were willing to go to such lengths to to make sure that the world knows the good news about Jesus. That's why the many were even willing to lay down their own lives because the truth mattered more than life itself. We could say, if we use our, our own sort of foundation church language, we could say that the early church, these disciples, were gospel-centred. They centred their entire lives around the gospel words. The kingdom comes in word. And that's the first way that Jesus continues to do and teach, through sending out his disciples with the message. But the second way, I suppose, or the second um, influence about how uh, the kingdom comes is by the Spirit. The kingdom comes by the Spirit. We see that in verses 4 and 5, by example. It's everywhere, but but in 4 and 5. Jesus says to them in 4 and 5, look, just wait here, wait in Jerusalem until you receive the promise of the Father. And he goes on to explain in verse 5 John, that's John the Baptist baptised with water but you will be baptised with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Wait for the promise the coming, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We see in verse 8 as well later on in verse 8 when the Holy Spirit has come upon you you will be my witnesses you will be given power See, that's how the kingdom of God was, was understood. Um, John the Baptist certainly understood it like that. We, we saw that in our uh, discipleship project readings earlier this week in Luke 3, right? Um, someone came to John who, who saw himself as the forerunner, um, you know, the one preparing the way. They asked John, are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah, the one that we've been waiting for? And he said, no, absolutely not, certainly not. I can say categorically, I am not he. I baptize with water said John. But there is one coming who is mightier than me and he will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and with fire. See, John and those in that sort of contemporary uh, um, context understood that it was the Messiah's role, the Jewish Messiah's role, to bring the kingdom by pouring out the Holy Spirit of God. That is the promise of the Father. That is how the kingdom will come. The age of the Spirit, and the age of the Spirit will be marked by this baptism from the Messiah. And just to be clear, being baptised in something, as we'll see in a few weeks when we do some baptisms here in the church, but being baptised in something is more than just a few drops or a dribble or a spray. It's a submerging. It's a drenching. I will come and I will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. When people enter the new realm, the kingdom of God, through trusting in Christ to save them, they will receive my Holy Spirit. They will receive intimacy intimacy with God, connection with God. It will be an immediate connection with God. There will be no middleman, no priest, no altars, no requirements other than trusting in Jesus. Um, the, the fact that the Holy Spirit, uh, sorry, the, the kingdom comes by the Holy Spirit was not a new concept. It was something that was picked up and elaborated and, and fleshed out by the, the Hebrew prophets of old. For example, Jeremiah 31, up on the screen, um, says of this day. He was looking way forward to this time when the Messiah will come and baptize with the Holy Spirit. And he says, this is Jeremiah speaking, no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord, for, on that day when this happens, he says, they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I'll remember their sin no more. There will come a time for no intermediaries where everybody is intimately connected to God. And that is when the kingdom comes through the Holy Spirit. And this Spirit is given, as we shall see, and as we're starting to see here, to God's people. And when he comes, one of the impacts will be, one of the influences will be that they will be given power to be his witness. Can you see how the Word and the Spirit are are linked? You are given power to make your word powerful, as you tell the gospel, as you show it, as you demonstrate it, you are given power. It comes from the Holy Spirit. Um, you might think, if you just read verses 1 through to verse 5, that these disciples are already witnesses of Jesus. When you think about what they've already experienced, they've already seen Jesus, they, they obviously knew him before he went to the cross, but even in this amazing 40 days here, they, 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 they met him multiple times. They ate with him. They, they heard his teaching. It was amazing. So he gave them many proofs. And so you would think that they're already witnesses. They've got, already got enough. They've got enough knowledge. But Jesus doesn't commission them there. He says, wait. In verse 8. I will give you power to be my witnesses. Power. And we can see how that takes place as we go through, again, the book of Acts, how Jesus began to do and teach these things in Luke, and how he continued to do and teach these things in the book of Acts through his people, through his disciples. For example, in a couple of weeks, we'll see how crowds and crowds of people heard the good news about Jesus, the Messiah. They were converted. They turned in their heart and their mind to Jesus. They were gripped by the message. They said to the apostles, what must we do to be saved? This is what happens when the message, the word and the spirit come together with great power. Crowds of people will hear and be saved. When when, uh, power comes to be my witness. As Jesus says, prayer meetings happen where the rooms start to shake. When the word and the spirit come together through the people, prison doors swing open. The lame start to walk. The dead are raised. Kings and councils are addressed by ordinary people. They had the gospel proclaimed to them. People are filled with boldness, with resilience and with fire that's what happens so you can see you can start to see here how the word and the spirit sort of interact in order to achieve thy kingdom come that's how Jesus does it the Holy Spirit we could say takes the the raw materials of the gospel and sets them alight sets them aflame We we can be very good can't we um, as churches and as Christians at arranging the wood carefully in the fireplace and we can we can put it together beautifully and it can look amazing in these wonderful structures but we all know I know <laughs> from many failed attempts unless the fire comes down on the wood the wood will not start to burn unless the flame meets the wood and we see that here in the book of Acts and we see that throughout the gospel uh, sorry throughout the the, the book itself when the flame comes, the Holy Spirit comes and causes the wood to burn, that's when the kingdom comes. The people are gospel-centered, as we'll see, but they're spirit-empowered. And so I suppose um, we might want to ask ourselves at this stage, um, does this just apply to the apostles? Um, can we, can we take any of this to ourselves? Because there are certainly some that would argue, as we, as we read these things here, um, that we shouldn't read ourselves into the text. This is not meant for us. This is just informing us, really, I suppose, what happened. That's how you know. And um, generally speaking, is good uh, hermeneutics, which is the fancy word for interpreting Good hermeneutics <coughs> not to read ourselves directly or primarily into the text every time, first of all, we ask what does it say about you know what happened at the time what does it actually say before um, how do we read ourselves or what does it mean for us and all of this ha- happened obviously first to the apostles to the well eleven of them at the time they were a man down weren 't they um, they 'll get another guy in called Matthias, and we 'll see that um, uh, in the next section but um, this will happen to those, those first few. And it says in verse 2, I mean, let's look at the details. Um, uh, verse 2, Jesus was doing all this. It says, through the Holy Spirit, uh, he gave, gave commands to the apostles whom he had chosen. So, so these are a group of special, unique individuals chosen by Jesus There were and will be eventually 12 of them, unique witnesses to the resurrection of Christ. They were with him during his earthly ministry. And so their witness is unlike ours. They were called and witnessed and taught personally by Christ. They were the first recipients of his promise, the promised Holy Spirit. But this text does not apply only to them, a historic study. And this is where I think our hearts should begin to beat faster. Because um, fast forward a little bit to the end of Acts chapter 2 verse 38 after the the Holy Spirit who was promised was poured out on the early church on the day of Pentecost. Uh, People heard the message, they heard the interpretation from the Apostle Peter and he said uh, in answer to their question what must we do, he said repent, that is turn in your heart and mind away from your sin to Jesus, be baptised, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And did that apply just to the special few? No, it did not. It applied to at least 3,000 people that day who heard and received the word by trusting that it was true. He goes on to say, this promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Those who are not present this day, in other words, those who will hear the message later on and also turn in heart and mind to Jesus and be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. So, what are we saying? We're saying that the promised Holy Spirit is not just for the apostles, it's for us too. For you, the promise is wise as the earth is round. The promise is open. It says, to all who are called. That is, to all who hear the word of God, the word of the kingdom, who receive it, who turn from sin, uh, and to Jesus in faith. That promise is given to everybody. Without exception. And that includes us today. Yes, the Holy Spirit brings you power for salvation. Amen. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. But he doesn't leave us there either. He also gives us power to live for him. To enjoy him. To know him. To experience him more and more and more. To receive our marching orders, as it were, from our commander-in-chief. To take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And he gives us his power to be expectantly on mission for Jesus. To continue all that Jesus does and teaches Go and make disciples of every nation, he goes on to say. So we've seen that the kingdom comes in the word. Kingdom comes by the spirit. Thirdly and finally, the kingdom comes through people. And this is where it gets personal. Practical. Just to be clear, before we get into that, just to be clear, coming in the Word and by the Spirit are not two different options. that You get to choose, I'm a Spirit guy, I'm a Word gal, I'll I'll go with this and, you know, those types will go with that. This is not that we get to choose, not at all. These, the, the Holy Spirit uses the Word of the Kingdom, the Word of the Gospel, to bring the Kingdom of God. So it's not either or, it's both and. We'll see that, again, more and more. I feel like I'm saying this all the time. We'll see that as we go go through the... the, Hopefully this just whets the whistle for more. Come back next week. Bring your friends. But the Word and the Spirit work together. Crucial in our mission. But it's important as well, I think, for for our context just now, that we understand the Word and the Spirit are not just left in a vacuum, um, not just something that we observe and learn about from afar, The word and the spirit are, as it were, given to the people, given to the church. That's why we say here at Foundation, we are a community on mission. The word and the spirit are given to us so that Jesus will bring his kingdom through us. It's amazing. Look at verse 8 in your text. Jesus says, you, you will be my witnesses In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the end or ends of the earth. The Word and the Spirit, he says, in other words, will work through you to cover the entire earth. All the world shall hear through you, says Jesus to his disciples. Uh, Jerusalem, of course, was where they were located at the time. It's where all this action took place. It's where most of the action took place up until about Acts chapter 8, when they got persecuted and spread all over the place. That's where it began. It was like the epicenter. And that was the place where they were told to wait until they received the Holy Spirit. It was, I suppose we could think of it as the, the home of Judaism. Because that's where the temple existed. That's where the promised land was, is. That's Jerusalem. And then Judea, I suppose, is, is, is the surrounding regions around Jerusalem, give or take. Where's Samaria? Samaria is a bit further north. It's a little province all in itself. But why is Samaria significant? We'll see this in Acts chapter 8 later on. Samaria is significant because these are not people to whom we should ordinarily bring the word and the spirit. That's what they would have thought. These are not people that we should, we sort of walk around them if, because they're, they're full of Samaritans. S- Samaritans are from Samaria. These are the despised spiritual cousins of the Jews. But no, Jesus says you have to take the word and spirit to them too. And beyond that, to the end of the earth. We could say now because of the age of the Spirit, because of the coming of the Holy Spirit, the promised land is not now related to or rather simply in a small area of Israel. The entire globe, the entire world is your promised land, says Jesus, and it begins at Jerusalem. And again, this takes shape as we go through the book of Acts. It sort of rolls out and we see this great... Missions, gospel-centered, spirit-empowered people go out and obey Jesus, go to battle, follow the general into war. And by Acts chapter 2, we see that all of Jerusalem is talking about the message. In Acts chapter 8, we see that even Samaria is one for the gospel. And by the time we get to the end of it, in Acts chapter 28, the gospel has reached as far as Rome, the seat of power. And if we can reach Rome then we have reached and can reach the ends of the earth. And that happened within 28 chapters. And along the pathway, along the major cities and the significant trade routes, they had been brought to the gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit. Churches were planted, cities were influenced. It's what happens when the kingdom comes through God's people. The word and the spirit break out. Jesus was proclaimed. It was riotous. It was crazy. It was not comfortable. People ended up in prison taking beatings. There were attempts to quash the movement multiple times, but it failed consistently. Prison awaited many. And yet, as we will see in the book of Acts, sun worshipping pagans were converted to Christ. Dignitaries and politicians were won for Jesus. The broken and the sinful came to him. The demon-possessed slave girl, the successful businesswoman, civil servants and magicians, all of these were transformed by the word and the spirit of the kingdom of God. A church was even established in the most depraved and immoral city at the time. A church in Corinth. And yet that church was so utterly filled with the Holy Spirit in astounding measure that they wrote a letter about it. Paul had to address them. It was going crazy. But it was a glorious mess. They needed straightening out. They needed the word. They needed good doctrine. But we can see when the gospel word and the work of the Spirit act in harmony, this incredible transformation can take place. in individuals who we think are hard and far from the gospel, we think that person will never be saved. That person will never give their lives to Jesus. We will see in the book of Acts that is not the case. If you are a Christian today, Think of it like this if you are a Christian today, a believer in Jesus, <clears throat> you believe only because those apostles in Acts chapter one obeyed their calling and took the message to the next town and the next place. And then subsequent generations of people after them and after them took the message and took the message until one day it ended up in in Ireland. Didn't take that long actually. And Christianity has been here for obviously many centuries. Praise God. But you're hearing it because those first gospel-centered, spirit-empowered people on mission obeyed Jesus. Even if you've only heard of Christianity and you don't call yourself a Christian, you have heard that and been influenced by it because that first generation took the message and the power of the Spirit to the ends of the earth. Isn't that amazing? And so at Foundation Church... We take our place in this grand sweep. We take up our role. Uh, We respond to this call that we see in this text. We, We are part of this story. This is the first act, if you like. The next act, and the next act after that, until you get forward to 2024. And we are still in that part of the story between Christ's ascension to heaven and his guaranteed return one day. We don't know. No one knows. But the clock is ticking. We are called to enter the arena. We're called to take up the arms of gospel, word and spirit, and to engage in this mission that Jesus calls us to go on. As we, as we sort of close out a little bit, it might help us to think a bit more practically um, about how this can apply for us as a church. Um, there, are, there are different ways of explaining this, I think, and interpreting this in some ways, but I think it will help for us practically uh, to think of us, think of Jerusalem as, as, as our city, as Belfast. It's where, it's where you're at, it's where it begins, right? It's, it's where you're from, it's your city. And we can think then, I suppose, of Judea as the, the surrounding parts, the surrounding districts, the surrounding small towns. Maybe you're from one of them and you've, you've, you've bust in this morning. We can think of those places as Judea. Where, where, where would uh, the equivalent to Samaria be for us? Where, where or who would be, I suppose, let's say, our spiritual cousins, and yet often, you know, in our context, our local context here, most misunderstood and often most hated... I would hazard a guess and, and put to you that it would often be uh, those of a, of a Roman Catholic background, Roman Catholic tradition. They, they, they those folks, are, our, we could consider, our Samaria. And again, we'll be so stirred, I think, when we come to Acts chapter 8 and see what happened there in Samaria. And then the ends of the earth. What is the ends of the earth for us here today at Foundation Church? Well, I, the nations are coming to Belfast. So we don't actually have to go too far to get to the ends of the earth. People are f- flooding in, coming in for all sorts of reasons, and finding the city and the province in general their home, seeking safety and shelter, running from war, looking for work, whatever it might be, whatever their reason is for being here. Nations are coming to us, but also we, as a church and as individuals, can go to the nations in various contexts, whether it's through church planting, missionary work, supporting others out on the front line, Um, as it were, uh, there are are a thousand ways. But one thing we can be clear is that the ends of the earth have never been closer to us than they are today. Every generation must weigh up their calling from this text. They must think about how to re-evangelize their Jerusalem their Judea their Samaria and the ends of the earth that has started already here at Foundation Church we're taking small steps we're here at Clarewood starting to see green shoots of God's grace growing among us it's amazing it's beautiful but do we have faith for more do we have faith for more in this church do we have faith for more in our city Do we have faith for more of these types of churches in our city, maybe six or 12 others by God's grace in the next 15 years? Who knows? Do we have faith for the people of Samaria, shall we say, bringing the word and the spirit to them? Do we have faith for those from the ends of the earth who've come and made their home among us, who you probably live next to or work with or something like that? What about you personally would you describe yourself as someone who is gospel centered spirit empowered and in community on mission and i'm not talking about whether you know the gospel you can recite stuff i'm talking about whether you, you the, the good news of jesus is not just knowledge to you but it is delight to you would you describe yourself as gospel centered or would you describe yourself as more of a spectator you're someone who maybe sits on the peripheries, the sidelines. Maybe you used to be in the game, but for some reason you have tapped out. This may be a word for you. Maybe, if that is you, you identify something of that in you. Maybe you need to repent of your passivity. If you're a new, new visitor with us, again, it's great to have you. But you need to know where we stand as a church. Are you going to join us in being a pioneer for the gospel? If necessary, forsaking comfort and control and concerns for yourself. Instead, are you're going to give yourself to be used by Jesus to build his kingdom. That's what we're about here at Foundation. It is a team project. You don't do it alone. It is a community exercise. We'd love to have you on board. You can begin, uh, perhaps, by taking a next step and joining us on Wednesday, 8 o'clock, for our prayer and worship night. We do this once a month. As uh, an opportunity to have a much more unstructured time of, of praying, worshipping, where our hearts are grown for Jesus and his gospel, and our, 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 our minds are oriented onto his mission. So join us, join us at Wednesday at 8 o'clock if, if you're able to make it a priority. The kingdom comes in the word, by the Spirit, and through his people. Amen. Let's stand together. Let's pray.